Hey there, welcome to the Favorite Church Podcast. We are a church for imperfect people who want to know God and make Him famous. In this episode, we'll be revisiting a message from one of our Sundays in church. Hello, Favorite Church. So good to be connecting with you in this service. Uh, whether you're joining us from Manila, or anywhere around the Philippines, anywhere from around the world. So good to be speaking with you. Uh, My name is Dustin, if we've not met before, and uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, our three children, are just great friends of Pastor James and Caitlin. We love their family, we love their beautiful children, and we love the church that Pastor James and Caitlin have built, Favour Church. It's a phenomenal church. I follow everything that's happening with Favour Church on social media, and uh, Sarah and myself count James and Caitlin to not just be close friends, uh, but also to be people that we really look up to and admire. Uh, I learn so much from James and Caitlin whenever we talk and I'm just so inspired by what God is doing in such a short amount of time in Favour Church. Let me tell you, if you're part of Favour Church, if you've jumped on uh, at some point over the last few years to be part of the Favour Church journey, uh, I want to tell you, get ready because uh, there is a real acceleration in what God is doing, even in this coronavirus season through Favour Church. And so uh, I just consider it an absolute joy to be sharing God's word with you today. Uh, Sarah and myself have the privilege of leading Calvary Church. Uh, We are one church in eight different cities, uh, seven cities in Australia and also in South Africa. And so uh, that's what we do. Uh, We'll have a quick photo on screen now of our family. Uh, Sarah and I have been married 12 years and we've got three beautiful children, Hugo, Luca and Stevie. And uh, they are an absolute joy. We love them. We lose a lot of sleep over them because three kids age four and under is a lot of work, but they're beautiful and they're God's gift to us. I want to really encourage your faith from God's word in this service. The title of my message is Full of Faith. Are you full of faith? In a moment, I want to read to you one verse from Matthew chapter 26. But before we get there, I need to give you the context so you know what we're diving into in this passage in Scripture. The context is uh, the scene of the Last Supper. Maybe you're familiar with Leonardo da Vinci's uh, painting of this scene. It's the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus knows that Peter is going to deny him. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus knows that crucifixion lies ahead of him and they finish the meal together. And then we get Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30. It says this, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, On October 28, 2015, I was trying to get to sleep. It was about 1am in the morning. And as I'm lying in bed asleep, my wife, Sarah, kicks me in the middle of the night. And uh, she kicks me to let me know that the the moment had come. Uh, Nine months, nine and a half months of waiting had come to its crescendo. We were about to welcome into the world our firstborn son, Hugo Benjamin. So she kicks me in the middle of the night and she says, babe, the contractions are happening. I think now's the moment. I said, now? It's like 1am in the morning. Can't you wait? And so um, I really wasn't aware of what happens at that moment in the process. 
And, and so uh, we, we get out of bed, she calls the hospital, uh, we get the bag that she's already packed and, and we're, we're about to jump into her car and she says, no, 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 not my car, in case my waters break, we're taking your car. And so we jump into my car, it was a Hyundai i20 and so we are like speeding to the hospital as fast as you can speed in a Hyundai i20. We're doing about 45 kilometers an hour. And so I'd always kind of dreamed of this moment when you're speeding to the hospital and you know a police officer pulls you over and you can say, my wife's having a baby. And so we sped as much as we, we get to the hospital and uh, they checked us into kind of like the birthing suite and gave us the drill. And, and then um, one of the nurses said to my wife, um, just, if you just wait in this room, in a moment, one of the nurses is going to come and administer a cannula, like a needle or a drip feed into your hand in case you have to have an emergency Caesar. We're like, yeah, that's cool, that's fine. And so this nurse comes in. This nurse looks like she is like just out of high school. She informs us that it's her first day out of university and she is so excited. Well, at that moment, there was only one person excited because now I was scared. And so she takes my wife's hand. My wife is sitting on the bed. The nurse is just there and I'm there holding my wife's hand and I'm looking deep into her eyes and I'm saying, baby, you just look at me. I will be your rock. I'm here for you, baby. And so um, the nurse starts to administer the cannula and I think to myself, Self, I wonder if she's administering the cannula correctly. Because you know, I'm a pastor, which means I'm an expert in the Bible and coffees. And so um, I should just check that she's doing it right. And so I glance over, I see the little syringe or the, the tube, and it has maybe like three drops of blood in it. Well, at that moment, I started to feel a bit tingly. I started to feel a bit kind of clammy. And I thought this must be how all men feel when they transition from husband to father status. This must be totally not, well that's the last thing I remember because apparently at that moment I fainted, not graceful fainting, I fainted face first onto the bed, just collapsed like a ton of bricks, just straight down and uh, the nurse hits the emergency button Four nurses come running in. My wife is having contractions with a needle hanging out of her hand. And, and, and the nurses come in and they're like, is she okay? And they're like, she's fine, it's her you need to worry about. I am gone on the bed. They ignore my wife. Four nurses chairlift me over to a recliner chair, pop up the recliner and give me a sippy cup of cordial just to get my sugars back. And thus was my grand entrance into fatherhood. I just wanted to share that story with you so you're part of the circle of trust now, all right? Never share that with anyone publicly for the sake of my reputation. Thank you. You know, in the moment when I needed my strength, in the moment when I had to be strong for my wife, you know, that was the moment when my strength went missing. Literally, my strength fainted in the moment I needed it most. And I've found in life, especially as we seek to honour Jesus and follow Jesus, I've found that sometimes our faith goes missing when we need it the most. You know, you, you really don't need high levels of faith when everything is going good in life. But when we go through difficult seasons, when we go through lockdown seasons, when we go through seasons that really put pressure upon us, it's amazing how often our faith faints and our faith fails when we need it the most. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus' moment had come. Jesus is about to face the physical terror of crucifixion. Jesus is about to experience the emotional pain 
of betrayal and desertion. On top of that, Jesus is about to carry the spiritual burden of humanity's sin. And when Jesus' moment of pressure came, the Bible shows us that Jesus exemplified. Jesus showed us what it looks like to live full of faith in moments of pressure. Now, you might say, well, how do you know Jesus was full of faith? Well, the Bible says that Jesus, knowing he's about to be betrayed, knowing he's about to be deserted, knowing he's about to be crucified, the Bible says that Jesus responds by saying, come on, let's stand and let's sing. Jesus sung a song of worship in the moment of pressure. Remember, Jesus was fully God and yet fully man. And so Jesus shows us what it looks like to live full of faith. You know, anyone can sing when times are good. Anyone could sing in 2019, but 2020 has had some pressure. And so I want to ask you, are you still living full of faith? Do you still have a song in your mouth? Are you still talking about and singing about the goodness of God when the moment of pressure comes? The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 17 that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is not just a moment that you have at a presence night. Faith is the disposition. It's the permanent attitude of the righteous. And so if there is one thing that marks us as people of favor church, it's that we have an attitude of faith. We trust God. We believe in the goodness of God when times are good. And we have an attitude of faith even when times are difficult. And faith, the Bible says, is what God rewards. Faith, the Bible says, is what overcomes the world. It's faith that pushes back the boundaries of what's possible in our lives and through our church. And so, come on, Favour Church, you need to know that God doesn't want you living full of anxiety. God doesn't want you in 2020 living full of fear. God doesn't want you living full of worst-case scenarios. God wants His people to live full of faith. And faith is not about what's happening around you. Faith is about what's happening on the inside of you. If Jesus could stand and sing, then you and I can stand and sing and worship and talk about the goodness of God, even in a crazy year like 2020. And so I want to share in the the minutes that we have together four reasons why you and I can sing in spite of our circumstances. Here's the first one. Number one, when you know the gospel, you're able to sing. Have you ever noticed that Christians have got a reputation for singing? Sometimes people say about churches like ours, oh, you go to one of those like happy clapper churches. You you will have noticed at Favour Church, we start every service with singing. At Christmas, we mark Jesus' birth by singing Christmas carols. At Easter, we reflect on Jesus' death and resurrection with singing. In fact, there's a whole genre of music called gospel music. It's as if Jesus sung at the Last Supper and for the last 2,000 years, Jesus' followers have not stopped singing. What is it with you Christians? What is it with you Jesus' followers that you always sing? It made me wonder, is it that someone spikes the communion juice every Sunday? Is that why Christians are so happy? Or is there something else at play which gives Christians a reason to sing? Because you need to understand that it's actually really unique amongst the world religions. Um, Mosques don't have keyboards or organs or pianos or orchestras or worship bands because according to traditional Islam, music is illegitimate. 
Uh, in Buddhism, salvation is not heaven filled with music. In fact, if you look throughout history, Buddhist monks have developed rituals to try to silence their minds and their mouths so that they can escape life's sufferings. But if you walk into almost any church, including Favour Church, you'll find that the centerpiece of the church will be like drums, guitar, go to a traditional church, it might be an organ, you'll find instruments, you'll find choirs. So what is it about Christianity that makes Christians sing? I wanna answer that question by sharing two, uh, the stories of two famous musicians or composers. Uh, the first one is a classical composer. His name is Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, he was a 17th century German composer. Compare him to the 20th century composer, Kurt Cobain, who was the front man for a band called Nirvana. Um, Johann Sebastian Bach and Kurt Cobain seem like polar opposites. They, they seem like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to music. But actually, there's some similarities between these two men. Maybe you weren't aware. Um, both men were incredibly talented. Both men were influential. Both men were celebrated by adoring fans after their death. And both men lost their parents when they were nine years of age. Uh, Kurt Cobain, when he was nine years old, lost his parents to divorce. Both parents, um, you know, separated from him and, and Cobain never really had a functional family environment from age nine. Johann Sebastian Bach, also at the age of nine, had both of his parents die within a year of each other. So, so even though these two men had very similar experiences in their childhood, they ended up creating very different music and, and eventually, sadly, Kurt Cobain's life was swallowed up by suffering and tragically, Kurt Cobain ended his own life. Whereas Bach, who also experienced pain, he overcame suffering and he produced art of beauty and magnificence. And so why the difference? Well, Kurt Cobain was the front man for a band called Nirvana. Nirvana is not a word that Kurt Cobain made up. Nirvana is actually a Buddhist term which refers to the permanent extinction of a person's individual existence. Now, uh, at the risk of being like too simplistic, I wanna share for you three principles of Buddhism and then compare them to three principles of Christianity so you can see that there is a vast difference. People who say things like, well, all religions are basically the same, only are revealing that they know nothing about basically all religions, because all religions are not basically the same. So this is awkward, right? I'm going to share three principles of Buddhism. I hope Pastor James and Kate invite me back to speak at Favour Church. Here's one. In Buddhism, firstly, it is taught that, or the doctrine of impermanence is taught. Buddhism teaches that there is nothing stable or permanent in the universe. The river that you see today will be a different river tomorrow because everything is fluid. Everything is in motion. Everything is in a state of change and impermanence. B, Buddhism teaches that your identity is an illusion. The Buddha taught that liberation is realizing the unreality of your existence. In other words, you don't exist. Your sense of self is just an illusion. C, Buddhism teaches that life is suffering. Buddha couldn't celebrate existence because he saw suffering as the essence of life. And so you can see how Kurt Cobain's inner anguish and his difficult upbringing made it easy for him to adopt the Buddha's first noble truth that life is suffering. That's 
Cobain and Buddhism. Now, Johann Sebastian Bach, he grew up in Germany in the late 1600s, which means he interpreted what happened in his life through the lens of the gospel or through the lens of the Bible. Let me share with you three principles of Christianity. And maybe you're joining this service, you don't typically go to church, you don't know much about the Bible. Here's three like foundational principles of Christianity. A, covenant relationship with God. The Bible teaches that God is unchanging and permanent in his stance toward us. Life may change, rivers may flow, flowers may bloom and then fade, but God remains steadfast. B, the Bible teaches that God created human beings in his own image. I've got good news for you this morning or this evening. You, you actually exist. Your suspicions are true. You exist. And the Bible says that your identity is not how much you have in the bank account. Your identity is not your relationship status. Your identity is not your social status. But your identity is this. The Bible says that you are made in the image of God himself. See, Christianity teaches that in Jesus, God himself suffered upon the cross, conquered death, and now offers salvation, forgiveness, and reconciliation as a free gift of grace. In other words, in Jesus, there is hope even beyond our suffering. And so it makes sense. Hey, I hope you're tracking with me in this service. We're covering a lot of ground, but I love this stuff. It makes sense that even though Kurt Cobain and Bach had very similar beginnings, they produced very different music and their life had a very different ending because at the center of Kurt Cobain's world was impermanence and instability, but Bach came to know a covenant-keeping God. Cobain believed that his identity was an illusion, but Bach believed, I'm made in the image of God. Cobain believed that life is suffering, whereas Bach believed that there is a God who so loved me, he entered into a broken world of suffering, directed his life to the cross where he suffered on my behalf. And now, because he conquered the grave and he offers us eternal life, you and I have hope even beyond our suffering. And so you can see that. A Christian is not someone who has had a perfect life. A Christian is someone who has discovered something worth singing about. Christians don't deny that the world is broken. Christians don't deny that life hurts. Christians don't deny that sometimes bad stuff happens. But what Christians do understand is that there is a God who offers us hope and life and restoration and renewal even on the other side of our suffering. And so a Christian is not someone who's better than someone else. A Christian is just someone who has discovered a God so good that he is worth singing about. The Bible says in Job 38 that when God created the world, the angels were singing. In the Gospels, we see that when Jesus was born, the skies were lit up with choirs of angels singing. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that at the end of time, heaven will be people from every nation, tribe and tongue, and they are singing. And so that's why, that's why I love favor church because I love a passionate church. I love a church that loves to worship God, that loves to sing. You know, a quiet, silent, dull, boring church is false advertising for heaven. You know, that's why even if we're doing church at home during this season, we still worship and we still engage and we still sing because we understand that as the people of God, we're not perfect people, but we understand we've found a God who is worth 
singing about. I tell you what, church, when we understand that it doesn't matter what I'm going through, I can still have faith because I understand that God is so good. He gives me hope even beyond suffering. Number two, it is this. When you know that God is sovereign, you're able to sing. Have you ever been um, at a social occasion or maybe at a meal uh, with friends and, and you know that there's tension at the table? Like two or three of the people in the group are not getting along and, and there's tension. Have you ever been at a tense, maybe family dinner, social occasion? It's like the atmosphere is so thick you could cut it with a knife. It's like there's tension in the air. Well, imagine the mood in the room that last night for Jesus as he shared the Last Supper with his disciples. Because as Jesus is sharing the meal with the disciples, Jesus knows exactly what Judas is going to do. Judas is going to go from dinner, is going to go directly to the chief priests, and is going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Then Judas is going to lead the Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus so that he can go on a sham trial and then get crucified. And so Jesus knows exactly what Judas is planning. And, and the Bible says that, you know, at some point around there, Judas hops up and he's like, hey guys, I'm, I'm just going to go pay the bill. And he leaves the room. And as he leaves the room, Jesus knows exactly where Judas is going. Jesus knows exactly what Judas is doing. And yet Jesus doesn't fight Judas. Jesus doesn't get angry with Judas. If I were Jesus, I would have got Peter to, to jump up and like roundhouse kick Judas to the face and wrestle him to the ground and, and stop him. And yet, how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by saying, come on guys, let's stand up and let's sing a hymn. Does that not seem crazy to you? How could Jesus sing when he knows what Judas is about to do? I think it's because when you know that your Father in heaven has a plan for your life, it doesn't matter who else has got a plan for your life, you can still sing. I heard the, the story about an old lady, and this old lady was a believer in Jesus, and she had like a porch or like a balcony area outside her house, and every morning she used to go out there and sing and worship and pray, but she would pray really loudly. And that really ticked off her neighbor, who was an atheist. He hated it. And so um, one particular morning, this lady was on her balcony and she was praying and she was saying, God, I need groceries. I've got no food in the cupboard, but God, I thank you that you're my provider. And right at that moment, the atheist overheard it and he thought, perfect, here's what I'm going to do. He went out to the supermarket that day and he bought bags of groceries. He came and he brought the groceries in the middle of the night and he put them at the door of the lady's balcony. Then he hid behind the hedge in the garden. Well, in the morning, the lady comes out. She, she opens the door and she sees the bags of groceries and she can't believe it. God has answered her prayer. And so she starts to say, God, you did it. God, you did it. I prayed for gro groceries and God, you gave me groceries. Thank you, Jesus. You're so, God, you did it. Right at that moment, her neighbor jumps out from behind the hedge and says, ha, gotcha. God didn't do it. I did it. I went to the supermarket. I paid for the groceries. I put them on your back porch. God isn't real. I did it. Right at that moment, the old lady looked at her neighbor and she said, no, you don't understand. God did it. He just made the devil pay for it. You know, because God is sovereign, God is able to even use his enemies to outwork his plan. Even though Judas 
had a plan. And even though Judas was thinking that he was going to get away with his plan, ultimately Judas's plan was working into God's eternal redemptive plan of salvation. The Bible says in Proverbs 19 verse 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, when you and I understand this, it actually changes the way that we respond to life's events. If we really understand that God is sovereign over our lives, you know what it does? It it releases me from anxiety. It releases me from fighting with people. It releases me from quarreling with people. It releases me from having to get even with people because I understand God has a plan for my life and God is working all things together for good in my life. And so it doesn't matter what that co-worker is saying in the workplace. It doesn't matter what that family member is saying about me. It doesn't matter what that you know, person might have gossiped about me or said about me online. I don't have to fight with them. I don't have to quarrel with them because I understand that many other plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is sovereign. And if God is sovereign over my life, then I can be full of faith because I don't know how God is going to work this out, but I do know that he's going to work it out. I don't know how God is going to work this together for good, but he promised that he would work it together for good. And so I can keep a sweet spirit. I can be a peacemaker. I can keep a good attitude and I can stand and worship God and be full of faith regardless of what people around about me are doing. Hope this is encouraging some people. Number three, here's the third one. When you know that God loves you, you're able to sing. You know, as I was reading um, this, this passage about Jesus singing a hymn, I started to wonder what song did he sing? Like, did, did Jesus stand and sing like, you know, the latest release from Bethel? Or did Jesus, you know, sing Kanye even before Kanye sung Kanye? Like, what did Jesus sing when he stood up and worshipped the night before the Last Supper? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus sung, but the Bible does tell us when Jesus sung. He sung at the conclusion of the Passover meal. Now, that was a customary meal for the Jews, and it was customary that at the end of the Passover meal, Jews would sing a hymn from the Psalms. There is a section in the Psalms called the Passover Psalms. The last Passover Psalm is Psalm 118. It's the same Psalm 118 in your Bible today. And most scholars would agree that this hymn Jesus sung would have been Psalm 118. If you're not familiar with that psalm, there is a line in that psalm that is repeated over and over and over and over. The line in that psalm which is repeated over and over and over is this, his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, the last verses of Psalm 118, which were almost definitely the last verses which Jesus sung before going to Gethsemane and then the cross are these verses. Bind the sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. I want us to think about this right now. Jesus is about to face the terror of the cross and Jesus looks into the darkness of the night and Jesus declares his steadfast love endures forever. You know, I think we miss this because we look for evidence of God's love in all the wrong places. You know, sometimes we look at externals in our life to figure out whether or not God loves us. Uh, We check our bank balance 
And if it's like pay week, we're like, he loves me. But if I'm flat broke, we think, oh, God doesn't love me. You go to the, the, the mall or to the shops, and if you get that car park, like right near the door, and you're like, if God, God, if you get me a car park right near the front door, it's a sure sign that you love me. And God's like, sorry, I reserve that park for Pastor James and Caitlin. You're going to have to. And so you end up getting a park like right at the back of the shopping center. Then it starts raining. You get drenched and you're like, God doesn't love me. You ask that girl out on a date and she says yes to the date. You're like, God loves me. And then she stands you up. And you're like, God, where are you? We look at all of these external factors to try to figure out whether or not God loves us. But the Bible says that there is one place where God has demonstrated his love. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your bank balance is not the evidence as to whether or not God loves you. The state of the global pandemic and the coronavirus is not evidence or not whether he loves you. Your relationship status is not the evidence whether or not God loves you. There is a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb, which is the historical evidence that God loves you. And when we understand this, It means that you and I, like Jesus, can stand to our feet. We can lift our hands even in the darkest of nights. And in the face of fear and panic and anxiety and uncertainty, we can sing with confidence, His steadfast love endures forever. Come on, I need to encourage some people in this service. God's steadfast love can endure even through depression. God's steadfast love can endure even through unemployment. God's steadfast love can endure even through divorce or bankruptcy. I'm not sure what it is that you're facing right now. I don't know what your dark valley looks like, but you need to know there's a good shepherd who walks with you through the darkest valley and his steadfast love endures forever. When we know that, we can stay full of faith. Listen, you may not know why things are happening in your life, but here's one thing you do know. He loves you. Hold on to that. And that will cause you to stay full of faith, even in uncertain times. The last one is this. When you know that God is powerful, you're able to sing. When when we just remind ourselves that God is all powerful, we're able to sing. You know, um, If you look at the Gospels, they're like the biographical accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you look at those four Gospels, this story that we're talking about in this service is the only recorded time in the Gospels when we read about Jesus singing. Now, I'm sure that Jesus sung at other times. I'm sure he sung, you know, happy birthday at people's birthdays, and I'm sure he sung at other times. But the only time the Bible mentions Jesus singing, it is right here the night before he was crucified. If I were Jesus, there would have been a whole lot of other times that I would have sung. Like when I walked on the water, I would have sung a song and it would have been like, how good am I? Like Jesus could have sung on so many other occasions. And yet the one time the Bible points out that he sung is at the most inopportune time to sing. It seems like the craziest time to sing. If there was ever a moment in Jesus' life where he should not have been singing, it was on that night. And yet it's the one time the Bible does tell us that he did sing. So why did Jesus sing then? Well, there's actually a clue in Matthew chapter 26, two verses later, where Jesus says to his disciples, I will go before you into Galilee when I have risen from the dead. You know, sometimes we read stuff in the Bible and we move so fast through it that we don't think about what we've just read. 
Let me unpack that for you. Jesus basically tells his disciples like, all right, here's what we're going to do. So uh, they're probably going to kill me on Friday. And after they kill me on Friday, what's say a few days after that, let's hook up in Galilee. Let's go hang out in Galilee a few days after my death. This is crazy. Never before in history has a dead man kept an appointment with his friends three days after being in the tomb. Jesus is making post-death appointments. Jesus is making plans to hang out with his friends even after a crucifixion. Why is that? The reason Jesus sung is because he believed in the power of God and he believed that he wasn't headed ultimately for a funeral. Ultimately, he was headed for a resurrection. And so when you and I understand the power of God, we can be in situations that everyone looks at and says, man, that's like a no through road. That's a dead end street. There's no way you're getting through this. This is going to be the end of you. This is game over. When you and I believe in the same power that rose Christ from the dead, the Bible says that it lives in us. When we believe in God's miracle working power, which is alive in our lives today, then we can look at impossible situations and say, you know what? God's going to make a way through this. You can start to make plans. You can start to make dreams for your future. Even though you don't know the way, you just know that God is going to make a way. And so I want to encourage some people in this service. You need to start writing out your dreams and your plans for 2021 because God's not done in 2020. God's got plans for you in the future. Don't think that this chapter is the end for you. God has got more chapters for you. He's the author and the finisher of your faith and God's not finished yet. Uh, Let me close with this final story. In April 2015 in Australia, um, all of the news in Australia in April 2015 was dominated by the names of two men, Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran. These two men were charged for trafficking drugs into Bali in 2005. They formed part of a group who were called the Bali Nine and their 10 years of imprisonment was um, really came to a close when their death sentence was finalized. On April 29th, 2015, these men were executed by a 12 member firing squad as drug trafficking criminals. Well, the next day, April 30, the Sydney Morning Herald, one of Australia's main newspapers reported this. In the still night air of Noosa Kambangan Island, condemned prisoners sang Amazing Grace just after midnight. They also sang Bless the Lord, O My Soul, before their song was cut off by the crack of gunfire. As details began to emerge of the final minutes of the group, who included the Bali Nine pair, Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran, it was revealed that all eight prisoners rebuffed offers of blindfolds opting instead to stare at their executioners while they broke out in song. Here's what the mainstream media wasn't reporting. Andrew Chan became a Christian. He came to faith in Jesus while he was behind bars. Even though he went to prison as a drug trafficking criminal, he found Jesus and went on to lead the church service inside the prison. When his death sentence was handed down in 2013, Andrew Chan said, and I quote, When I got back to my cell, I said, God, I asked you to set me free, not kill me. But God spoke to me and said, Andrew, I have set you free from the inside out. I've given you life. From that moment on, I haven't stopped worshipping him. I had never sung before. I had never led worship until Jesus set me free. Listen, those of us who believe in Jesus are able to sing even in the face of death 
because we understand that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is toward you and I. And so that means that faith in Jesus gives us the power to sing at the most unlikely times. We are able to hope against hope. We're able to sing in the face of impossibility. And so I don't know what looks impossible in your life. I don't know what looks like it's dead and it's finished and it's over, but I want to encourage someone right now that it's time to start to sing. It's time to start to worship. The Bible says in Isaiah 54 to a barren woman, I want you to start to sing and enlarge your tent because more are the children of the desolate than those who are fruitful. God is able to turn barrenness into fruitfulness. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. I want to encourage us, particularly in this season, give voice to your faith more than you give voice to your fears. Start to declare the power of God at work in your situation. Every person connecting with this service right now, Favour Church, you need to understand you have something to sing about. And I know there's so much happening in 2020. I know that there is so much cause for negativity and for uncertainty and for fear, but you need to know the gospel. You have hope even beyond suffering. You need to know that God is sovereign. His purpose will prevail in your life. You need to understand that he loves you. His steadfast love endures forever. And if we can just be reminded that his power is toward us, not against us in that moment, we can be not full of fear, not full of anxiety, but rather we can be full of faith. Hey, Favour Church, Sarah and I love you. And, and I really pray that, that God's word will have built faith in your heart today. If Jesus could stand and sing in the face of crucifixion, you and I can stand and we can sing and we can be full of faith regardless of how our lives look right now. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray two prayers. In a moment, I want to pray a prayer for people who you're connecting with this service from anywhere in the world. Maybe you're watching it on your TV. Maybe you're watching it on your phone, on a Facebook feed. However you're joining with this service, in a moment, I want to pray a really simple prayer of faith in Jesus. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, if there's never been a moment in your life where you made a conscious decision to say yes to Jesus, I'd love to include you in a prayer in just a moment. I'm also going to pray for those of us who would say, you know what, Dustin, I've allowed anxiety and, and, and negativity and fear to overwhelm me, but today I'm gonna step up and I'm gonna step into faith. I'm gonna start to sing again of the goodness of God. I'm gonna pray that prayer in a moment. Firstly, if you're here in this service and you've never said yes to Jesus, I wanna pray for you in a moment. Maybe you once have, but you're away from God today. We're gonna pray this prayer right now. I'm gonna encourage you to pray it with me and then you'll see details on the screen as to how you can let one of the favor team know that you've prayed this prayer so they can connect with you this week and encourage you in your faith. But can we pray this prayer together? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. I know you love me because you sent Jesus to die for my sin. Right now I ask that you would forgive me, fill me with your Holy Spirit from this moment on in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening in. At Favorite Church, we're a family, and we believe that the Christian journey should not be done alone. If something really spoke to you from the message, we would love to connect with you to talk it over. Or if you prayed the salvation prayer, 
We'd also love to be able to share more about the decision that you've just made. Please visit us at favor.church/next to learn more. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, simply tap on the share button and send it through. We love you. We're praying for you. Till next time.